Hello there and welcome back to Fire and Soul. Thank you so much for tuning in. There are so many new listeners from all around the world and I'm so grateful that you tune into this medicine and hopefully you're taking the time to integrate and embody some of what you hear that really resonates so that we together can make a beautiful co-contribution for humanity. And that's a big theme of today's conversation. And I'm going to drop into uh, what you can expect and a high level point of view to keep in mind as I was navigating this conversation with my very special guest, Mark Nepo. But before that, I want to share just a few things. Number one is I know we have thousands and thousands of new listeners, and I'm deeply grateful that you are here. If you haven't left a review and in your mind I've earned it, I would really appreciate a five-star review on Apple if you would take the time to do that. It helps the algorithms find other listeners that need this medicine too, and that's really the most effective way to do it and the way to do it in integrity. Organic honest reviews. So if you wouldn't mind, it would just be so, so appreciated. You can hit pause right now and find Fire and Soul on Apple Podcast or your favorite pod player. Uh, Really, really grateful for that. Also want to let you know that I am just coming out of three days in Ojai, California with our incredible women during our Rose Women Retreat. That was an immersion of sacred feminine embodiment, which is really that divine feminine frequency known as our cosmic birthright. And it was such a beautiful, pure, holy, deep dive. Um, And so I'm just really open. My heart, I mean, this morning I literally woke up very teary. Uh, Even thinking about it makes me emotional because I'm so moved by the women who showed up and played full out and faced the hardest parts to be able to embody radiance, truth, light, harmony, all the things that we all so desperately long to experience. But oftentimes it comes through facing off with the parts that we have thrown into exile that we've been too ashamed of or too um, worried about, oh my gosh, what would others think if they knew that about me or that I, I had these thoughts or concerns or insecurities or doubts. And so inside that vulnerability always reveals our deepest authenticity. And uh, through there, we can truly connect heart to heart, soul to soul, and and be on that that genuine path of walking one another home and that's what we got to co-create and it was magical it was medicinal it was transformative this past weekend and there will be many more and we're just getting started my spiritual mentor alicia marie and i um, and it just i just have to share it with you because it was so profound you know um if you were there at the retreat i just want you to hear it from me publicly how much i honor you and the journey that you have devoted yourself to being on. I see you, I know you, because I am you. Thank you, aho. And all of the women that attended our retreat listened to Fire and Soul, so we all have that in common, and almost all, but I think one, uh, has been a part of Soul Circle, my women's mastermind, supportive space, heart-centered community. 
And that is a really great uh, way to begin to get familiar with the foundational framework of that which we do a deep dive in the immersive experience in the retreats that we've now done too. And we have a third one coming up in the fall. Don't even have that one open yet um, and seats will sell out, but I'll let you know if it doesn't sell out uh, to Soul Circle because that's who comes first. And so the reason I'm bringing up Soul Circle is because we are about to kick that off. You'll be listening to this. This dose will release on April 18th and six days later, April 24th, we begin the journey. So I want to share a little bit about that in case it snags your soul and I'm going to invite you to go and take a look at our webpage for this. It's 12 weeks of guidance and support to embody your sacred feminine and lead with love in a very powerful, beautiful community of heart-centered women. I think I mentioned this. Our journey begins next Monday, April 24th, every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific for about 90 minutes. Now, inside this transformative inward journey, you will learn to create a profound shift within in order to experience the deep lasting change that I know you truly crave, right? You have no shortage of desire, but you're tired of short-term solutions and feeling disconnected from your radiance and truth. And though I assume and could presume that you like me and like every other woman, in Soul Circle has done a lot of work, right? You're familiar with programs and retreats and coursework and uh, online events and in-person seminars and all the things, right? But you know it's time to voyage even deeper. And I know you know that or you wouldn't be listening to Fire and Soul. This is not for everyone, but it's for you. And it's for those that are authentic seekers. We want to fuel our self-awareness so that we can discover and share the true purpose of our souls, our unique medicine to serve the world. The journey inward is the highest calling, right? We've heard it before. As within, so without. As above, so below. And so on and so forth. So learning how to embody your sacred feminine, which is what this is going to be, a deep dive into the art of that. It's our cosmic birthright. But we've been so programmed to think that it's some distant, far off, you know, elusive thing that we can never fully embody. And yet it is our sovereign blueprint and the very catalyst for reclaiming your divine power that absolutely impacts every area of your life. So let me give you um, a sample of what this particular round is going to have because I'm not only going to give you some insights in, of my own personal practices and rituals, but we're also bringing in highly specialized female guest teachers um, with different offerings in these transformational practices during our three months together. So sacred altar creation and devotional rituals to open your connection to the wisdom within, i.e. learning to listen. Sound vibration to heal your heart and nervous system. Shamanic energetic practices for managing your precious energy. Understanding Mother Nature's mystical medicine and healing modalities for the soul. Central intimacy with the divine, the sacred divine masculine. This is a very powerful solo practice for authentic power and pleasure. 
to compassionately face any shadow aspects yearning for your attention that is the pathway to your dharma, also known as the purpose of your soul, and how to reclaim your highest self and live in divine integrity. In other words, a merging of self-will, like these are my dreams, these are my desires, these are my goals, which are all beautiful and, and, and I want you to have them fully realized, but merging that with an act of surrender with divine will so that even that which you, you dream of takes it to a whole nother level in terms of vibrational tone and how it feels and how expansive that is inwardly and outwardly. That's the journey. And so by the end of this profound experience, you will, have, you will have cultivated a sincere connection, not only with yourself, but also the divine realm, mother, father, God, great spirit, source, you name it, whatever works for you. You will have discovered the authentic radiance that you truly desire. By the way, a little note on that, it can only come by facing off with that, that which we've been afraid of. Don't want to see, bypass, suppress. Hope goes away if we just deny it and ignore it long enough, right? Been there. And it feels so good to be and continue to journey on the other side and through it. You will have expanded in receptivity and inclusivity, open to sacred sensuality, cultivated spiritual intimacy, and sweet interrelating in heart-centered sisterhood and embodied the sacred energetics to live your dharma and lead with love. I have not been more proud of Soul Circle than I am today. This is the evolution and ah, it is waiting for you, my, my love. So you can head on over to michelle-sorrow forward slash, let me say that again, michelle-sorrow.com forward slash Soul Circle, I think, is the web address. Let me actually make sure on that. There might be another hyphen in there somewhere. Oh, that's right. Cool. Michelle-Sorrow.com forward slash Soul Circle. It will also be in the show uh, resources for you. Okay, my friends, this is a really special conversation. Stay all the way to the end. I know it's about an hour-long conversation and worth every moment of your time. Want to know why? If you're looking to drop in and slow everything down and to really have a truly nourished nervous system, then just getting into the cadence and rhythm of the way that Mark Nepo shares as a masterful, mystical storyteller, spiritual advisor, poet, writer, cancer survivor, and of course, many of you may know him as the number one New York Times bestselling author of the book called The Book of Awakening. Well over one million copies have sold, and now he's working on his uh, 25th book this year, but we talk about, in part of this conversation, his 23rd book called Surviving Storms. I want to get the last part of that. Hold on. I wanted to move to a different page on that. <laughs> Where is it? There it is. 23rd book, Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. Now, inside this conversation, we cover a lot of ground in a very spacious, connected, building upon one texture and context of this conversation after another including, I love his perception on how to gather meaning and yes, to create intimacy with uncertainty. And I will add for me, what really became revealed in this conversation was also in our, in our shared humanity, 
Because what you may note is that Mark, the author of the Book of Awakening, has a slightly, well, has a different viewpoint than I do. And I imagine many of you as to what happened during the pandemic and what may be happening now and why the whole thing happened in the first place. But isn't that a beautiful reflection of where we are in the world with so much polarization and division and separation that somehow we are further wedged apart when yet if we can begin to gather meaning and find ways to communicate and really learn to listen to one another, like I believe was illustrated in this conversation, then we find our common ground and we find our common, common values and virtues and we too walk each other home. What I love about this conversation is that Mark offers up three really important questions, especially if you've gone through a storm, not unlike the pandemic or whatever storm you are currently in, right? We're all in some pretty wild times. So whatever is happening, happening to you personally is often a reflection of what you're seeing externally, right? So we're learning to be in harmony within and without. And I love these questions that he poses for that. He also, uh, at the very end of this conversation, uh, just said, well, throughout, just share some sweet stories about family and grandmothers and his wife and his beloved community and, and really some of the gifts that, that came out of his experience of these last three years. And I just feel deeply honored to get to be in this conversation, much less share it with you. So without further ado, Hello, Mark, and welcome to Fire and Soul. It's so good to have you here today. Oh, thanks. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, well, I am just thrilled about your latest book, Surviving Storms, Finding the Strength to Meet Adversity. We're going to dive into that. But I also have to acknowledge the 20, what is it, 21st year of the Book of Awakening, yes. reaching over a million readers worldwide. Um, I know my dad, it's his devotional prayer every single day. So I want to give a shout out to my dad, Roger, who oh. just is so grateful for your words. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, but of course, we continue 21 years later, my goodness, and what, 23 books in the vault, your legacy continues. Yeah, it's amazing. I, you know, it's, it's more than I ever imagined. I think, I think everyone is born with a gift if we can discover what it is and let it be our teacher. Mm -hmm. And then it's like a fish that finds the current in the river, then it carries us. And so, you know, we're all not good at all things. There's lots of things I can't do, but, but I'm blessed that I was able to land in my gift. Oh, well, and so are we. And I love that you're talking about that um, because I do believe that we each have a gift. I'm imagining that you wrote Surviving Storms during a very big storm called the pandemic. What was that experience like? Well, yes, I did. I started it just before the pandemic. And of course, as soon as the pandemic hit, it, it colored everything. And I think what it, you know, and, and let me back up a second and we'll talk about that. But I think one of the things that I, I started to explore and realize is that every 
every generation has its particular challenges and this one is ours right now you know in my parents generation it was world war ii um and so in that way everything is unique and every generation it's our turn mm. are we going to choose love over fear are we going to choose uh, compassion over self-interest are we going to welcome each other and let each other in or push each other away and so this is our turn and these are the particular catalysts to see how are we going to show up this time and every gener no one gets a shortcut there's no <laughs> bypassing the challenges and so so as i started to open up this book and explore it I like, and you know, one of the fir first chapter is called The Old World is Gone. And what I was so moved by, you know, in my work and uh, those who know my work, I'm, I'm going to be 72 in a couple of weeks, which I didn't, I met someone my age when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. It doesn't seem so <laughs> old now. And, um, but in my 30s, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma. And it was I was a surprise that when the pandemic hit, viscerally, I was brought back to those days, all those years ago, particularly to a moment when I was first diagnosed. And I went to a doctor and that visit changed my life. Um, but the door I had come through to keep that appointment was gone. Mm. There was no way back to life before that appointment. And I think this came back to me because I really feel that the pandemic was such a moment for humanity. The old world is gone. There's, there's whole parts of our society that want to deny it, want to be angry about it. Who are we going to blame? Um, but it's gone. And the only way is to love each other forward. Mm. Beautiful. You know, Mark, I don't know if I know your backstory. Uh, I'd love to share what, what is coming through for you in the moment. I know you probably answered this question, but it's, it's new for my listeners. Oh, you mean the story of my journey? Um, coming to this beautiful affinity with words, uh, becoming this poet and spiritual writer and your unique gifts and sharing them with so many in need. Yeah, well, I think, you know, early on, um, I mean, even as, as I look back, even as a child, before I had any understanding of what poetry was or language or metaphor, <clears throat> the way the world always spoke to me, even as a little boy, was through metaphor. Mm. I can remember being out in the woods as a boy and, and the wind suddenly comes through the trees. And it, it was like saying to me without words, pay attention, what, is, what are we like? What are we like? What's this like? So that's always been a native way that I've understood. And then <clears throat> when we get to high school, you know, um, the first the first woman I fell in love with, uh, you know, went on to live her life and broke my heart and took me uh, years to recover. And so I wasn't a loner in high school, but I didn't have close friends until college. And so at that time, I began writing as a way to uh, help heal myself heal. Well, as I started to heal, I realized I wasn't just talking to myself. 
I had begun a conversation with the universe. Mm. And so I've stayed in that my whole life. And then, you know, in my early 30s, I mean, in, in, between then and, uh, and my 30s, um, those 10, 15 years, um, I was a driven young artist. You know, even though I was always felt like the heart was the center, I was, as a young man, I was very much in my head. <laughs> And it was all of a sudden being thrown into this life-threatening situation. No wisdom on my part, just being thrown upside down and inside out. Uh, there was three years that were the heat of that journey. And um, I, uh, well, everything turned upside down and, and everything drifted down into my heart. And so two major things that happened from that point forward, one was that ever since then, um, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. Mm. Mind is a great tool, mm. but it's a tool. <laughs> and, and the other was that, which has affected all my work and all my books and all my teaching was that <clears throat> I was raised Jewish. I have a great tie to the Jewish heritage. But I was blessed during that time to have people from all faiths, formal and informal, offer me some kind of love and help. Mm -hmm. So when I was woke up on the other side, blessed to still be here, mm -hmm. I was not and am still not all these years later, wise enough to know what worked and what didn't. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I was asked, challenged to believe in everything. And so ever since then, all my work and teaching, <clears throat> I I'm a student of all paths. I believe in a, a central, nameless spirit, unity, whatever name we want to give to it, God. And, and that there are all the spiritual traditions are particular expressions of it. And each has a gift to offer. So I like to think about it that the the philosopher in me, the poet in me sees. The philosopher in me tries to understand what I see. Mm. But it's the cancer survivor in me that's committed to saying, okay, how is this going to be of use? How is this going to help us live our days? Mm -hmm. And so that's led me to a, a form of writing that is, you know, I... I honor and believe that each tradition, each genre is, a, you know, there are master novelists, there are master essayists, you know, master poets. And, <clears throat> but for me, I have come to a place where um, I, I view all the genres as tools in a toolbox. Mm -hmm. So if I need, in whatever I need to stay close to what is true, um, if I need to tell a story, I'll tell a story. If I need to research, I'll be a scholar. If I need to, um, you know, tell the truth of my life, I'll be lyrical. Mm -hmm. um, whatever tool I need to pick up, I will use um, to serve the, that authentic truth. Oh, thank you so much for that. You know, speaking about not being dogmatic, which I know is uh, something that really touches so many of your readers, including myself. It reminds me of uh, my church, Agape, International Center of Truth with Reverend Michael Beckwith, whom I know you know. Oh, sure. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for decades, you know, he 
opens up, you know, trans-denominational studies around the world and really just shows us the unity. And I think now more than ever, it's time to really drop into what that means <laughs> in action. How do you express unity in your daily life, going about seeing people that may have different beliefs? There's a lot of polarization happening at this time, seems more so. Well, I think, yeah, I think the polarization, and, and we can talk more about this too, is is, is such an acute problem in the modern world where when people are following their fear more than their love, mm. we get separated and there are all kinds of isolations. But I think that so much for me, you know, Mother Teresa talked about courage is doing small things with love. <clears throat> and I think that it's important to start where we are and to be as present as possible, ask as many questions and to listen and hold, you know, two of the greatest, oldest medicines in the world that are still available every day are holding and listening. Oh. There isn't a time in my life when I have been held or held that it hasn't been restorative. There isn't a time I haven't listened or been listened to, even if the listen, even if it's something that's hard to hear because it's true and maybe I don't want to, I'm not ready to hear it. <clears throat> there hasn't been a time I've listened or been listened to that hasn't been healing. And that takes a risk to be present. And that, you know, I think one of the things that I try to do in my life, you know, regardless of the stridency is not to be baited into arguing on the level of, of the conceptual level. So, you know, so say we're on opposite sides of the abortion issue. Well, it does no good to argue about it. What I want to do is say, I see this is important to you. Can you tell me the story of how this became so important to you? And not not with an agenda, not to change your mind, but to but to reaffirm our common roots, because yeah. then we have a better uh, a better chance of living together cooperatively. You know, if you go back into you know one of my other books, More Together Than Alone, which is a exploration of community across history and cross culturally. And there was an, an amazing time for about 700 years in Cordoba, around Cordoba, Spain, and, and it, known as the Iberian Peninsula, maybe you've heard of it, where uh, Muslim, Christian, and, and Jewish people lived for centuries, not just tolerating each other, but actually uh, enlivening each other. And it mm. became such a phenomenal uh, period of enlightenment. And one of the things that happened over those hundreds of years was that, well, first off, one of the, the, the salient cultural values was that it was accepted that there was more than your view mm. about anything. Mm. So when you voiced yourself, it was expected that you would then hear other views and knowledge was putting all of them together, mm. not choosing one over another. And over time, these these different traditions and, and during these hundreds of years, people 
then started to love each other and so they started to intermarry mm -hmm. and so then they had children that were more than anyone faith mm -hmm. and so this is something we sorely need is to listen to each other and not to insist because there's a different view you know one of the things that's so problematic in the modern world is if fear governs us then we start to look for things that will confirm what we already know yes that's not education that's mm -hmm. not learning learning by its nature is tell me what i don't know thank god you're not like me teach me about you let's learn together so so that's not that's not knowledge and and so we i think need to start breaking uh this these bubbles of our of our own thinking it's very incestual thinking you know in the native american tradition there is a i learned this uh, through this book too is <clears throat> there is a wonderful uh, practice that is has been done for hundreds of years and it's still done today when elders meet in circle elder councils mm -hmm. they meet in circle not just because there's no head to the circle for equity mm. they meet in circle so everyone has a direct view of the center mm. Mm. and I love that because the assumption of that again from another tradition is no one view is enough. Mm. No one view is enough. We mm. need everybody's view of what's in the center, whatever we put in the center, to understand together. So, you know, and, and I'll give you a practical way that that affects our relationship. So, you know, say that we're friends and you know, your heart gets broken. And well, I've experienced a broken heart, so I want to be there for you. So I come and I say, you know, I, I feel for you. I know what it's like to have a broken heart. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know what it's like for you to have a broken heart. Mm -hmm. So if we put that in the center, mm -hmm. no, no, I say, even meaning well, I can preclude your experience. I put it in the center, I say, I've had a broken heart, and this is what it looks like from over here on the circle. What's it look like over from over there? Mm. And once we share that, then our understanding of heartbreak is more than any one view. It grows. It grows. So, you know, I know that the older I get in my teaching circles and just in my life, um, I'm not interested in debate or persuasion. We gather meaning, we don't choose it. We gather meaning, we don't choose it. We don't make oh. one over another. Yes. <laughs> oh, that really touched me. Thank you. No, you're welcome. There's a chapter in Surviving Storms called A Broken Hallelujah. And I know that it was, I think, inspired by uh, Leonard Cohen. Yes. Which is also my dad's favorite song and deeply moving for me. My dad is with us today, I guess, in energy. Uh, <laughs> uh, can you expand on that chapter? I, I feel like it dovetails so nicely into what you just said. 
Yeah, you know, this was something that dur during the pandemic, you know, I've always loved Leonard Cohen's work. And but like so many things, you know, I uh, my wife, Susan and I, we happened to see a, uh, a tribute while he was alive to all the Canadian. It's it's a documentary called I'm Your Man. And he uh, was alive and all the can young younger Canadian uh, singer songwriters did a tribute to him in honor of him. And they, they played his songs and everything. And, and after seeing that, we I, I realized, you know, I love Leonard Cohen, but I don't really, I don't really know that much about him. I need to dig in, you know, and, and so as I, as I went, of course, I knew the, his amazing song, Hallelujah. And as I got more deeply into his work and into that song, it carries a great paradox about life. Hmm. And because the broken, you know, hallelujah means praise God or praise life or, you know, and often as, you know, many uh, churches and, and different religious groups have used his song, but I have to say in a sanitized way, like, yeah, hmm. praise God and good luck out there with the rest of it. Well, no, it's not that simple. And what he was, I was suggesting was the wholeness of life, that there is, and the, the, the majesty and wholeness of life, and that resilience comes from honoring that wholeness and, and living through our authenticity, not running from difficulty or trying to reframe it or cheer up or, do, you know, don't dwell on that. No, that we... The broken heart that it doesn't matter. You know, one of his lines is there. It doesn't it's not someone who's seen the light. Oh, yeah. It's not someone. Yeah, it's it's someone. You know, it's a broken hallelujah. That whether you fall down or you lift up, we all get there just by living life, loving each other, and being as real as possible. And so he offers this as a sense that. Uh, which I so resonate with, obviously, and in, in my way of seeing and thinking and experiencing life, that that um, we have to both honor what we face and still praise the mysterious majesty of life. So if if you and I were on a raft out in the ocean and a great wave came and crashed the raft, well, that wouldn't be a good day for us. <laughs> <laughs> that could even be tragic and it doesn't diminish the majesty of the sea mm. Mm. we we are we live often in this false choice that if things are difficult then life is terrible or if life is wonderful well then what's happening to me doesn't matter no all things are true all things aren't fair or just but all things are true and by inhabiting them we have our best chance at a full life and at a resilient one and i experienced this in a in a life changing moment during my uh cancer journey i had a um it was a few weeks after uh i had a rib removed in my back and i was in a uh, I had my first chemo treatment in New York City. It was horribly botched. So I was in a holiday inn with loved ones, uh, getting sick every 20 minutes, mm. uh, terrified, not sure what was going to happen. Eventually, we did go to an emergency room. But before we did, 
we were all exhausted. I was on the floor of this, this Holiday Inn with my elbows on my knees, my head in my hands. And dawn was starting to come up and not through any wisdom on my part, but because I was so exhausted, I was more open than I ever was. It occurred to me that while this was true for me, somewhere nearby a baby was being born. Mm. And somewhere nearby a couple was making love for the first time. Mm. And somewhere an adult father and son who had been estranged were sitting and having coffee and talking again. And so I realized in that moment that to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we, what, what he opens for us with is we are all born in this corridor of aliveness between the pain of life and the joy of life and the song of life. And it's always our turn. What kind of music are we going to make? What kind of music are we going to make? And that it's important to, and in many ways it, it is, you could say it's in the lineage of the story of Job, who was asked to honor life. And so saying, yes, it's difficult and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's always that saying, oh, is the glass half empty or half full? It's always both. Mm -hmm. It's actually a ridiculous question. <laughs> it's always both. How does the heart open to hold both, mm. to hold both? So, you know, there, there is, I use in there that uh, I refer in the book as a great example of this. There was in the 1600s, there was a samurai warrior named Masahide. And he, after many years of being a samurai, he put his sword down. He walked away from that life and went to apprentice as a poet with the great poet Basho. Now, I would have loved to interview that guy. Like, what <laughs> happened? Yeah. Right? And the, the haiku that he is known for is this. My barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. <laughs> My barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. And so in those three lines is another addition to this, this unpacking of the broken hallelujah, because there's no minimizing the loss of the barn. That is real. There's things we learn from those deep teachers, loss and grief and pain. And once the barn is down, oh my God, there's this vastness I had no idea was here. Mm. Oh my God. And how do we keep the heart open to both? To mm. both. Mm. And when, you know, so often when people, you know, don't, don't listen, it's because, and I don't, I'm not advocating suffering, but it's because they haven't suffered enough to be broken open. Because once we're broken open, then, then the distance between us and others is very small. And in moments, there's no distance at all. Absolutely. 
when we're really, really open. You know, that haiku is so beautiful about the barn and the moon. It reminds me of a phrase of a poem of two men were sent to prison to live behind bars. One saw the mud, the other saw the stars. Oh. Yeah. Same, same mythology. You know, you're talking about the story of the sea and maybe being capsized and that not being so fun in the moment, but it not taking away from the majesty of the sea. And it reminds me of, of something that I heard you share about your childhood. And, and today in the book of Awakening, it's, it's uh, the legacy of sadness and being a carrier of sadness. And I'm not going to read that, but it's definitely beautiful. Today's February 7th, if anyone is curious. And, um, but you share about being called too daydreamy, too emotional, too sensitive. And yet at the same time, in that same season of your childhood story, your grandmother was a beautiful teacher for you. And I guess my question is, looking back on that, as I know you talk about how important it is for us to understand our foundational stories mm. and how your grandmother ties into that, I would love it if you would expand on that. Yeah, so so thank you. So first off, let me just say about foundational stories, and then I'll, I'll talk more personally about that. But so, you know, mythologies, myths have always been throughout history, you know, before there were schools, there were stories. And myths carried the questions and quandaries and lessons about living. And, and so that's all to say that each of us has a personal mythology that it's important to look back at our life and see what stories are foundational. Now, that doesn't mean that they're all positive. Sometimes we learn through very difficult things and they teach. So somehow, sometimes through a very difficult story, we, we, le we learn how to love because we experienced a bad version of it. Or we learn to be accepting because we weren't accepted. So it's not whether they're good or bad stories. It's how do we know and remember who we are? What stories help us remember who we are and our fundamental connection to life? Mm -hmm. And so in my, you know, journey, um, you know, I did my parents, both my parents now are gone about 10 years, about eight, 10 years. And interestingly, you know, now that they're gone, I can see them and hear them a little more clearly because they're quieter now that they're gone. <laughs> they, they made a lot of noise while they were here. <clears throat> and, but, you know, so fundamentally, so I understand them a little better. Um, you know, they were first generation born in America, um, in Brooklyn, outside of New a part of New York City. And they were you know, we had family die in the Holocaust. We, they grew up in the Great Depression. So they were very intelligent people who were very survival oriented. They only wanted to cared about survival for their children and were very um, uh, literal minded, you know, in the, 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 sur the surface necessities of the world. Well, and they get a mystical poet for a son. So when I look back, we didn't really speak the same language, <clears throat> you know. So that was always a thing going on there. But the thing that, you know, my grandma in my, my 
my life, my relationship with my parents was always difficult. And um, I was closer over my lifetime with my father than my mother. Um, but it was all very, very challenging and difficult. And my father's mother, my grandmother, was a very important presence in my life. And I, as a little boy, I'd be dropped off and stay with her in Brooklyn, which I loved. <laughs> and there was a, a, a foundational moment for me that I've told the story over the years because it always reminds me of who I am. And that was when I was eight or nine and I was staying with her in a little apartment in Brooklyn and in the basement of the brownstone. I was rummaging around there and she was up in the kitchen. And I found this magnificent book that was very strange and mysterious. It looked like an artifact and it wasn't even in English. And she came down to find me with it and was uh, and and tears started to come because she said that was your grandfather's prayer book. He brought it from Russia. And um, and then she took me between her legs. She had her apron on and she spoke to me soul to soul. No one had spoke to me that way. And she said, you are why we came to this country. She held my little face and said, you are why I live. And then she pressed my hands to the book and she, my little hands, she said, these, your hands, are the oldest thing you own. And then she went back upstairs into the kitchen. And, and I had never had anyone, I mean, I didn't understand every, the import of everything she was saying, but she was telling me, you're enough as you are. You don't have to do anything. You're complete as you are, no matter what you experience or where you go. And and I left that book. I hit, actually hid that book at the time because I was afraid it wouldn't survive if I brought it up into the world. But I went back and got that book later and mm. have it. You still have and, it? Yes, I do. Yes, mm. I do. And... um and so she, you know, that is a story of the respect and unconditional love that she modeled for me. And so different times in my life, I found myself going back to that story to get clear about, oh, yes, oh, yes, I remember. Mm -hmm. This is who mm -hmm. I am. And this is what love really means. How did going back to your roots and remembering who you are during the pandemic express itself? Well, I think it expressed itself through through writing this book for one thing, but it, it also, you know, expressed, um, I think a lot of the things that that the kind of teaching I'm involved in and people that are involved in the kind of work we're involved in, the things that I've always tried to practice, they just become more important during times like the pandemic. Mm. You know, it's a great paradox that stars can only be seen in the dark. Mm. They're there all the time. And likewise, you know, the things, the people that we count on, the things that matter, 
when things are going well, they're there, but uh, where are they? And we don't pay attention to them. And then when things <clears throat> get dark or confusing, paradoxically, oh, there they are. There mm -hmm. they are. So I think that that's also, you know, part of what's happened in the in the pandemic, you know, in the Jewish tradition, the word Sabbath literally means the one day <clears throat> we don't turn one thing into another. Mm. And again, I think the pandemic forced us into a global Sabbath. Mm. It's made us stop. It, there was no going from here to there. There was no running. There was no dreaming. There was no scheming. There was no uh, working on things. There was just being with the miracle of what is. Mm. And so, you know, and I talk about in there, I think that what happens in great times of change and times when things break down and open is there are three archetypal questions in our lives and in our societies and in our cultures that are always there to ask. One is um, uh, what needs to be repaired? What needs to be reimagined? And now that things have been broken, what needs to be dismantled that should have never been put together in the first place? Mm. That's all I ask, you know, people who are listening to us today, uh, look at your own life. What in your life right now on this side of the pandemic needs to be repaired? Mm. What in your life needs to be reimagined? Mm. And what in your life, now that it has stopped, been forced to stop, doesn't need to be picked up again, it needs to be left on the side of the road. You know, the, the original, the, the word sacrifice, and then we saw a lot of sacrifice during the pandemic. I think of the healthcare workers, especially, um, who every day sacrificed their lives to help people, especially people who were refusing uh to believe that they even had a virus which is just crazy well the and we've seen sacrifice with a lot often with military and people you know working giving their lives even for our freedom well that all comes out of a deeper ground or soil of sacrifice the original definition of the word sacrifice means to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred. And so during these times, you know, we are all, so what this tells us is that everything is sacred. What changes, we're the ones that change. And because we're changing and evolving and growing, what works today may not work tomorrow. And we have to put it down in order to take up what will keep us closer to what is sacred. Mm. And this often involves putting something dear down, you know, because it helped us, you know. So, um, you know, something, for instance, I mean, there's, uh, when I was growing up, because I, I lived in a very kind of emotionally difficult and I would say blunt home, um, <laughs> being the sensitive one, I was always easily hurt. 
And um, so I developed what I later called my catcher's mitt. Emotionally, I could catch everything from any angle. And then when I was alone, I would I wouldn't show it. And then when I was alone, because it was if I showed it, then that would be ground for more hurt because then I you know my family would pounce on it or make fun or tease or so so that got me through uh, adolescence but it became such a re an emotional reflex that by the time I woke up on the other side of my cancer journey in my 30s it was working by itself and I didn't survive cancer not to be touched by life so I had to learn so to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is I had to learn over time through therapy and practicing awareness to keep putting that catcher's mitt down that I was strong enough I'd rather be hurt than not touched by life. Mm. I'd rather be fooled than not believe. So again, what, you know, again, for those who are with us today, um, can you identify one way of being or thinking or feeling that no longer works for you? How can you put it down? How can you start to put it down so that you can pick up something else that will work? You know, there's a, a great Buddha story about this, that Buddha who would walk from city to city, town to town. I mean, there was no no 24-7 news then, so he was often by himself, unannounced. And he came across a river that was very fast and deep river, and there were no boats around. There wasn't even a dock. So it was, he couldn't just wade across or swim across. So he spent the day and he, out of branches and reeds, he made a makeshift raft. And sure enough, the raft held him as he crossed the river. And he got on the other side of the river and he shook the raft out of the water. And then he started carrying the raft on his back. And after walking for a couple of hours, he didn't smell water anymore. And so it occurred to him, he said, why am by carrying this raft on my back because I don't think there are any more rivers to cross. And so what's beautiful now about the story is the Buddha nature in each of us, he doesn't just discard the raft. He stops, spends the night, builds a fire and does a ritual in which he burns the raft in reverence, mm -hmm. saying, I'd rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. So when we ca carry, and you know, of course, we, you could always say, well, why he could have left it to goodwill or left a sign for the next person, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stories, stories often point up graphically for to give us one view. So in this story, Yes, he'd burn, I'd rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. And so it shows us that archetypally in every life and every situation there, <clears throat> there's a cost if we don't put down what no longer works. Mm -hmm. Because we lose access to what matters and we start to resent 
what once helped us. Yes. And when we do put things down, it doesn't mean that they were false. Mm. It means that we've grown into something else. So, you know, when a butterfly leaves a cocoon, it doesn't mean the cocoon was false. It means it served its purpose. Mm. Mm. Quick question. <laughs> Did you know that a butterfly only lives about three months? Yes, I did. And amazing. And, and as we're talking about butterflies, there's this beautiful, mysterious uh, quality to their migration pattern. So butterflies have a migration pattern that where they feel called to go is farther than the lifetime of several butterflies. It actually spans four monarch butterflies have four generations of butterfly to get from where they start to where they migrate to. So the mysterious question is how, which, which is almost like evidence of spirit is how, when one butterfly dies within a few hundred yards or so, another one is born and knows to pick up the journey. How on earth do they know that? But this is proof that spirit moves from one generation to the next. Mm. This is proof that as inexplicable as it is, it can't be, you know, uh, patterned out or reasoned out by science or rationality, but there's clearly something forceful and inexplicable that carries from one butterfly to the next. So if it can happen in a butterfly, this is how, you know, kindness skips from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. If we're open to it. Mm -hmm. There is that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, my dad also told me about that. And he's like, it's so remarkable that they just have it in their DNA to continue in this migration. And, um, you know, this might dovetail really nicely into a question that I, I, I really wanted to ask you. Know, I was thinking about this morning in the shower. Uh, a lot of my listeners speaking to the first chapter of Surviving Storms and the old world is gone. And, and the old world for us could be very metaphorical, right? An old identity, an old perspective, an old perception, um, an old reality, all kinds of ways in which we used to live in the world. And my perspective only is there really has been a global awakening to what degree and to what people see is, is really at their level of consciousness or what they're meant to see is what I've really come to peace with at this point. But what I'm noticing is there's a lot of in-between space happening for a lot of people in my life, and I know a lot of our listeners, of I know the old world is gone, but I'm not exactly sure where I'm going. I'm in this space that feels uncomfortable. Will I ever know again? Will I ever get into action again? And it reminds me of a story that I heard you talk about regarding rhythms and the dolphins and whales. And I think that could be such a beautiful story if you're willing to share right here. Sure. Sure, absolutely. So, mm -hmm. so first, let me just say, or too, that one of the the 
handicaps of the modern world that we need to repair from is that we have catastrophized our relationship with the unknown. Mm. So, you know, the unknown, certainly difficult things can happen. Catastrophes can happen. But also beauty, wonder, grace, love, kindness, compassion, they all come from the unknown too. After all, there isn't one person I've loved or been loved by in my life that I ever planned to meet. Hmm. So how do we regain the full, our full intimacy with the unknown so that we're more comfortable with uncertainty? Because despite the speed of our age, things that matter and last take time. And this in-between state is how things that matter form. And so as impatient as we are, we need to develop more comfort and letting that uncertainty be a teacher and not just something to get through. So there's that. So now to the whales and the dolphins. So, you know, first off, I would also say that there's a term and, and whales and dolphins are an example of this. There is a Hindu term, Upa Guru, which means the teacher that is next to you at this moment. Mm. There's always a teacher next to you. And most of them are not human. Uh, and the whales and dolphins are such teachers, such Upa Gurus. So, you know, they are great teachers about the rhythm between solitude and community. Mm. The between the inner space of a soul and relationship. You know, when I was in high school, I remember all those years ago, this is very typical, you know, I remember that I thought there was something wrong with me because, you know, when I was alone, I couldn't wait to be with others. Mm. And then if I'd get to the party or whatever it was, and I was included in whatever, I'd be there for 10 minutes and I couldn't wait to be alone. And I thought, what am I, is there something wrong with me? And I later understood that there is a natural rhythm for every spirit in a body carried on earth between the inner world and the outer world, between solitude and community, between depth and surface. And so when we look to whales and dolphins, they are great teachers in this because as magnificent as these creatures are, they are air breathing creatures. So as long as a whale can stay underwater because it has this mammoth ability to to hold its breath, it can't it has to it has to go in the deep because the its body needs to be immersed in water or it will die. But it can't stay down there. It has to breach and break surface and come back into the world to breathe or it will die. So it's a, not a matter of whether we experience depth or surface or solitude or community or we will we need both the question is what is your personal rhythm what is the balance what's balance for you so question for our listeners uh with us today is do you feel are you too much in the deep or are you too much in the world what do you need to be balanced, to be balanced. Because one of the values of 
of inexplicable values and rewards for solitude is presence. We have presence going into the depth by ourselves that everyone has, that our direct experience of life is how we remember how rare it is to be here at all. And when we feel that and know that directly, we have a reverence for life. And if we have a reverence for life, we can't do harm. Mm. So one of the things that I feel has been so uh, detrimental and, and hurtful in our age right now is that so many people, I think, have lost their direct connection to life. You know, so uh, because if, you know, you look at the, the insurrection on, on January 6th, you know, now that's a, a date that will always be known, just like 9-11. Well, forget the politics of it. I remember watching that on TV by chance, and I was just horrified at the barbaric violence, while at the same time, people were taking pictures of themselves. They'd lost their connection to, as if they couldn't tell, is this a video game or is this real? Because if you have that direct connection of life, despite whatever your political views, it's below politics, you can't do harm. So how do we recover that? Mm. And so presence restores our direct connection of life. But I also can't, you know, life is so much more than just my experience. So by coming breaching like the whales into the into the world, then I can experience your presence. Mm. And that's the beauty of relationship. Mm. Meaning is when we share presence. Mm. And we need both. We need both to inhabit this world and to build a better world. Mm. So I'm curious, as a man who's about to turn 72 in a few weeks and having lived in a lot of seasons, um, how do you tune into your rhythm? Do you just honor where you are and align with that? In other words, not, you just, it is what it is and honoring that. Or if you got to show up for a podcast interview or one of your beautiful talks, how do you tune into to a rhythm that can serve the purpose? Well, I think, you know, I, I do align with what is. I, I try, uh, my practice is to be as wholehearted and present as I can be, knowing that because I'm human, there'll be times when I'm half-hearted or I'll stumble and I won't be present. So it's always a, a practice of return. Returning to be wholehearted when I happen to be half-hearted. Returning to be clear when I'm confused. Returning to safety when I feel fear. So, um, and so the, the deep lesson for me years ago in doing all these public things that my, my calling has called me to do is that it's about presence, not performance. So it's really just about being together and comparing notes on what it is to be alive. 
and staying in that honest, tender conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I often uh, say or begin retreats or workshops by saying, you know, I, I don't have any answers and what I share are examples, not instructions. Mm -hmm. That we're here to learn together. And so, you know, well, there is so much that there is to um, that everyone will go back to the beginning when I said everyone has a gift and certainly we can become masters of that particular gift. But outwardly, we also suffer in our age a cult of expertise. Mm -hmm. Until, you know, certainly there's a lot of things I don't know. I, something goes wrong with the plumbing, I need to call a plumber. <laughs> but we also take that specialization to extreme in our modern age. And so then, you know, I need to have a movie critic tell me what movie I should see. I need to have someone tell me if the music I like is worthwhile. No. No, that, that we need to break the culture of expertise and simply be real together to hold and listen to inquire so so you know my i feel blessed at this time in my life i feel like my life has unfolded in ways beyond which i could have ever imagined and and i just feel blessed to uh be so attuned to listening because writing has become more listening than speaking and just to, and the books are just taking notes from listening now and just you know my my loved one being with my loved ones being in this space of of teaching and retrieving i like to say the books that's heaven on earth for me yeah, mm -hmm. nothing nothing else mm -hmm. i want no bucket list there's nothing there's nothing else i'd rather uh, now that I'm in the stream, I just want to stay in the stream. <laughs> mm, I just love that. Thank you. You know, we're coming to a close and I just have to say that uh, I'm, I've been so moved to tears many times in this conversation, really dropping into your pace, the space that you provide, um, your energy center that I can feel. And I came in pretty pretty grounded, but I feel deeply rooted. So I just want to say thank you, Upa Guru. <laughs> oh, and, and, you're um, very welcome. Oh, thank you. And um, what are you working on now? Or what's lighting you up in the moment? I know you're in the stream in the river. And you yeah, really well, I have, I have two. Yeah, I could talk for a moment about, I wonderfully have two books coming out this year, two more <laughs> uh, books, one in April. I have a major collection of my poetry coming out of uh, three books in one volume uh, that gather poems from the last two decades, my 50s and 60s. It's called The Half-Life of Angels, and that'll be mm -hmm. out in April. And then my next spiritual nonfiction book will come out next September, this come in September 2023, which is called Falling Down and Getting Up. Discovering your inner resilience and strength. Oh, so apt. What a wonderful anticipation we all get to have in our hearts. 
I will make sure that we leave all of the links to connect with you. I know that you offer incredible webinars that are very much like this energy, just gathering meaning together and, uh, and sharing our gifts with one another. And I can't thank you enough for sharing yours with me here today. Oh, thank you. A joy to be with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Fire and Soul. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. And if you'd like to connect on social, you can find me anywhere at Michelle Sorrow. Or if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.